if, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Uh, I love hearing us opening up our Bibles. Uh, we're going to go Matthew chapter 21 uh, today. Uh, last week we were in Matthew 21. In fact, we've been spending a considerable amount of time uh, in Matthew 21 because we are patiently walking through the entire Gospel of, of Matthew. And uh, for me, I should say this is this is beneficial because... What it does is, is it helps center my heart around seeing Jesus as a very worthy king uh, who cares for me in the greatest of ways. And, and the reason why that's important to me, uh, because if you, if you know me or not, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of give you this honest confession. Uh, I am not always good at making the best decisions uh, for myself or uh, for my family. Uh, I am the proud owner and reseller of a punching bag uh, because I was like, that's what I need to get beach body shape. And uh, I, if I am left to my own devices, uh, I, would, I would spin recklessly. Uh, I would seek comfort constantly, uh, which is really just an excuse for my own laziness. Uh, I would uh, strive to write a story that's centered only around me uh, and the sad part of that story is it's not really worth reading. Uh, it's not even a good Hallmark made-for-TV movie. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, I think they're making like 33 movies for Christmas this year. I'm just telling you, no, 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 none of them will be good. Uh, none of them. Uh, and so, in fact, they'll all surround the same thing. Like, Janet needs a boyfriend for the holidays. And so she convinces her barista to go with her. And she finds love in a hopeless place. Uh, join us this Christmas as Hallmark. Uh, anyways, that's a, that's not even in these notes. Um, but 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 here, here's what I know is that uh, when we come to chapters like Matthew 21, we see Jesus as the Savior King, and as we see Him this way, it changes everything. Uh, that 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 I get to see His footsteps, which are in the direction. Of my protection. We get to see His hands caring for us even when we don't deserve it. I, I can better understand uh, by walking with Jesus what a life of significance and purpose looks like because He leads us as a good shepherd does. And, and so I, I can see a life that is wrapped up in Him as being a life worth living. Uh, and, and a story worth building. And, and so 21 uh, has simply done this for us so far. It's presenting Jesus as our Savior King. Matthew's been telling us all along, but here in 21 we get to see this brought to light in a very beautiful way. Uh, and these past three weeks we've seen him do three different things that indicate this to us. Uh, that number one, he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday presenting himself as Israel's king on the back of a donkey, bringing us peace. Not just um, peace with man, but peace with God. Uh, number two, he cleansed the temple, storing it to God's uh, given function as a house of prayer after they've made it a den of robbers. And then last week, uh, he does something fairly peculiar uh, in cursing a fig tree, but we said it's a very significant symbol of, of God's coming judgment on the nation for its failure to produce spiritual fruit. Okay, and so, so now what we're going to do is, is we have, we've kind of covered the three signs, uh, but now where we go with these next three weeks 
are, are three parables uh, that Jesus is going to use as a way of responding uh, to our first five verses this morning as the chief priests and the chief elders uh, come up before Jesus and they ask Him about His authority, uh, about the authority that He is operating under. And in this exchange in these parables uh, will say a lot to us uh, about our footsteps in light of the gospel and in particular in the, our steps here at Merge. And I'm excited uh, what God's going to bring us these next few weeks, although um, it, it may be a little difficult to digest sometimes uh, because there will be some things that we have to chew on that we're like, I don't like the way that tastes, even though it is good for you, the way a salad is, right? You're like, this tastes horrible, but apparently it's healthy for you. Uh, I don't know. I'm still out on salads. So um, so let's, let's stop, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we come to you. We are very thankful this morning that you've given us your word. And that your word lights our paths. Your word reveals in great detail what it looks like to live with you. And we pray this morning through your Holy Spirit that he would speak to us uh, for some tenderly, for some very loudly. And I pray that we would be attentive to his movement. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. Now, okay, as, as we approach these first five verses, we need to understand they're going to set the scene for the next couple weeks. Uh, in fact, uh, they will set the stage for Jesus sharing some important parables, revealing God's heart and exposing the issues of the religious leaders that they're actually having uh, with God. And, and what, what's going to happen uh, each week, uh, respectively, is just going to reveal the rejection of the religious. Uh, of, of today will be the rejection of the Father. Next week will be the rejection of the Son. The third week, the rejection of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and what's going to spark all of this is the chief priests and the elders confronting Jesus again on the subject of, of authority. And now if we've been paying attention as we've been walking uh, through the Matthew's Gospel, you'll recall that this subject keeps coming up, or at least it keeps being remarked on. Uh, go as far back as, as Matthew 7. It says that the crowds, after hearing Jesus teach, they were amazed at His teaching because He taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Uh, in chapter 8, a centurion has a servant who needs care of Jesus. Uh, and he just he looks at him and he says, he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. If you go to chapter 9, Jesus heals a paralyzed man, and they ask him why he healed him, and he says, he says, I'm doing this so that you may know that the Son of Man, that I have authority to forgive sins. Uh, and, and the people marveled that God had given such authority to men. Remember, this is pretty much the, the walk of the story of, of Matthew, is people looking at Jesus saying, who is this guy? What is, what is he here uh, to do? And now in 21, the chapter we're studying, uh, we're going to see this subject brought to the front of the discussion. And here's what I hope we would understand about what Jesus is doing here. Because we live in a society that is increasingly wanting to step outside the boundaries of authority. Uh, we want to make everything very subjective to how we feel. Uh, and, and we would look at certain things in our life and say, well, that's not the way God would want it, when really God has always operated in authority. And what I hope we would understand about what Jesus is doing here is that God uses His authority 
for the ultimate good of His children. Uh, that He establishes authority for the ultimate good. And the more we believe that He has the best interests and the best capabilities of care for us, the deeper our faith grows just in Him. And, and this trust builds toward a greater willingness to submit fully to Him without reservations. And this is, this is where I hope we, we go. And, and this is what we find Jesus in a conversation in verse 23. Okay? Um, 23, and this is where we're going to start. And when he entered the temple, okay, when Jesus entered the temple, so he, he's come from cursing the fig tree, he's going back to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was, what? Teaching. Teaching. And he said, and they said this, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, now these things... Uh, could, could really mean a number of things. Uh, Jesus uh, and this delegation w- was not just now getting to know each other. In fact, we, we know this, that typically anytime Jesus performs a miracle, anytime He gives a dissertation or a, a long speech based on uh, what He has just performed, uh, there are always church people somewhere in the group. Uh, and so either the chief priests and the scribes are there, or typically they would send someone to report back uh, what Jesus said. And, and so these things could be the, the culmination of, of all that He's been doing over these past three years, which are some incredible, incredible things. Uh, or it could just simply be the last three things that we've been exploring while, while traveling this chapter. And either way, uh, I think it's, it's ten, this tends to be, for me, a pretty comical point. Uh, because have you, ever, have you ever opened your mouth uh, and then you immediately realized you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and you're like, well, if I just keep using more words, eventually I'll find some sort of point, right? And everybody just, this is what I am most of the time on Sunday mornings. Uh, just keep saying things and then eventually you come up with something to say. Um, but no, but, but, but here, here's a moment that the chief priests and the elders interrupt Jesus and they insert this question and in it, they are very exposed. Because uh, they're going to come to a point here this morning where, where they, they're like, I, I don't. These people who know everything don't know anything. And, and I think it, it's, it's comical, but I think it's also uh, it's for our benefit and it's for their benefit that Jesus addresses their interruption. Verse 24, Jesus answered them. Okay, So they asked, whose authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do these things? And Jesus answered, I will also ask you one question. And if you will tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Okay? So, so I'll answer your question. You just have to answer one of mine first. That's what he says. It says, the baptism of John. Okay? John the Baptist. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? Okay? Now, here's here, one thing we need to address really early on. This is not an evasion on Jesus' part. He's not trying to get out of answering this question. In fact... Uh, it's actually this brilliant exposure of the, the leader's moral bankruptcy. That, this is what he's bringing. They, they were asking about what authority Jesus was doing what he did, while at the same time asserting their ability to judge whether or not his answer is correct. Okay? That, that's basically what's happening here. That, hey, what authority? And then we will decide if we're going to allow that to be the, the truthful answer. Uh, and so, so in taking them back to the ministry of John... Uh, they were forced to deal with whether or not they were truly following and believing in God. Uh, because John had prepared 
the way for Jesus. In fact, one of the most penetrating words I find in, in all of the Bible uh, is through the word of, of John the Baptist as he sees Jesus and he says, Hey everybody, listen up, listen up. That's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. That is who Jesus is. And so Jesus comes and he declares this and had the rulers received Jesus' ministry, they would have received Jesus. They would have said, I'm with John on this. That John said, Jesus is the Messiah, therefore I believe that. But what instead happened is they allow Herod to arrest John. They allow Herod to decapitate uh, John so he can save some face. Uh, and, and when John came ministering, the religious crowd showed this, this, this great interest in his work. They were following John around the way, similar ways they followed Jesus around to investigate and see. Uh, but, but they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't humble themselves through confession and, and baptism. You can go uh, Matthew 3 and John 1 for that. Uh, but what we're going to see, the good news of, of the baptism and the message of John and Jesus is that not everybody was so pious. Uh, but, but bottom line, their rejection of John kept them from accepting Jesus, which is actually a rejection of God the Father. Uh, that, that's kind of what is at play because God has sent John as the forerunner and he has sent Jesus as our Savior King. And, but he's gracious enough that instead of sending judgment immediately, he sends Christ. That's why we celebrate that his patience and his uh, steadfast love endures forever, as the psalmist would say. And so Jesus asks them this question and they say, time out, huddle up. <laughs> and they start to whisper to one another, and it says this, And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he's going to say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. They believe John. We don't. And so they answered Jesus, We do not know. You got us. You got us. And then like a boss, Jesus says this. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I'm very honest with you. If you, get, if you gave me an answer, I would tell you. But you didn't answer my question. So I'm not going to tell you. And, and the thought, they thought that they were backed into the corner with two options when they really just come up with a third answer. Uh, and so uh, if, if they say from heaven, then they're exposing their self-righteousness. They're, they're very man-made religious controls that they have created over the years. And that if they say it's from man, then they, ruse, they, they run the risk of losing uh, their power over the crowd, which has actually given them power in themselves. They were able to control the people. So, so they really are in a dilemma. And, and so, so their, their third lane, they come in and they say, we, we don't know. And this is as big as it is shocking because these guys pride themselves on knowing everything. Especially when it's related to God. They, they know everything. People looked at them and they called and said, hey, I have this religious question. I have a spiritual question. They came to these guys because they knew it all. And, and here they, they have an answer and they say, we don't know. And, and here's what we know about them. They are smart. They appear to be devout. And here Jesus, a relatively common man from their estimation, from a relatively common family by their estimation, stumps them. And, it, and, it's, and he doesn't stump them because of their ignorance, but rather their sinfulness. 
This is what Jesus brings to mind. And, but I think it's beautiful because Jesus is gracious enough to expose them, gracious enough to expose us in, in His next words. And, and His desire isn't for their domination. Rather, His desire is for their salvation. He doesn't beat them to say, hey, I want you to feel bad about yourself. He beats them because He wants to reveal. He wants to shed light into the darkness of their hearts. Uh, much like he does with us. And so he tells them a parable, okay? Now, a parable, uh, if you didn't know, is really, it's just a story that's taught to illustrate a spiritual point. That's what it is. It's a story that you tell, and it, usually it starts off something like this. It's kind of like, yada, yada, yada. Or once there was a guy that, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it connects us to a spiritual point. And sometimes that point can be very obvious, uh, especially if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You're like, oh my gosh. How does everybody not see that? Uh, and other times, it, it takes a while to chew on uh, the meaning of these stories. And, and if you find yourself in those places when you are in a parable, uh, don't feel bad because the disciples were the same way. Uh, Jesus would tell them stories, and then they have to come back and be like, hey, we didn't get that. Uh, didn't understand what you said. Uh, and then he would say something like, are you so thick-headed uh, that you not understand? Uh, and then he would graciously explain it. But, but here's, here's what I know. Anytime we approach parables. At least this is a practice that I try to put into place. That anytime I read a parable, I like to ask two questions. Uh, that number one, what is this parable saying about God? What is it saying about God? Because if the parable is saying more about you than it is about God, you need to continually reread it because you are never the lead character in these stories. Never once. God is always saying something larger than the story of you. Uh, and then secondly... I'd like to ask this question, what is this saying about how I am currently walking with God? How am I being exposed? How am I, what is being revealed in my life about my manner of living when it comes to these pages? And though you are the supporting character, uh, in every parable there's a line where you must decide where you are so that you can better know where you need to be when it comes to our steps with God. Uh, what is God telling? And this is what we're going to find today. You're going to see this kind of brought up because God's going to be the main character and then you're going to see ourselves exposed typically in two different ways. Um, and so here's, here's what he says. Okay, This is the same scene. He comes in and he says, what do you think? I love that. I love that he says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, the son answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and he went. Uh, that happens frequently at the Giri Casa. I will tell my son, son, go do something. And he says, no. And then I give him the dad look, and then he goes. Um, and so, uh, but it doesn't work on Misty for some reason. I don't know. So, um, but then he went to the other son, and he said the same. He says, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I go, sir. In fact, underline that, sir. Uh, or square it, or circle it, or whatever you'd like to do. Bring attention to that, because it sounds very formal, right? I go, sir, but he did not go. So verse 31, the question is this, which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said, well, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, uh, they be- but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. 
And so just so we're on the same page, the characters, let's talk about the characters on the stage, okay? You, you have three, all right? You have the man who is the father, right? He has two sons. He's representing God in this story. Then there are two sons. One represents the tax collectors and the prostitutes, uh, the people who are living in sin. And God has told them about the right way of living. God has activated them for working in His vineyard. Uh, and they initially look at Him and they say, Nope, not yet. No, I, I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun for me. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And then after some time, they realize the benefits of being in the family and they eventually do the work of the father and then you have this other son who represents the religious people who tell God yes in fact very formally right yes sir uh, that's why I love to hear that from, from especially young men yes sir no sir uh, that they come in they say yes sir on my way uh, but they never actually get off their seat they never actually get out of their pew uh, they never entered the vineyard to do the work of the father, father uh, while all along the work in the vineyard is what the Father has invited them into being a part of. So, so the vineyard, the vineyard at their time is the nation of Israel. The vineyard for us now is the entire world. It represents the entire world. That's, that's God's domain. He has opened the gospel up, not just to the Jew, but also the Gentile. Uh, and so when He invites us to work in the vineyard, He means out there. Those people who are very far from me. Those are the people. That the work of the Father is that everyone would understand his or her desperate need for the care of the Father through Jesus. Okay, That's what this parable is teaching us. This is what Jesus is confronting the, the chief priests and the elders with. And, and I think there, there's two great things that Jesus is addressing. Uh, that, that number one, this is in your talk notes, uh, that number one, confession without repentance is empty. This is what he tells them. He tells them this at the very end uh, when he says, he says, when you saw it, when you saw John the Baptist, you saw tax collectors and prostitutes believing him. You saw it and you did not afterward change your minds. You didn't turn from your ways. You didn't change your, your manner of living or your manner of thinking and you didn't believe on him. So, so confession without repentance is very empty. It's very empty. Now, it might look very formal, but it's very empty. In fact, John the Baptist, and even Jesus, by the way, had the same message. Okay? We treat them as if they are completely separate ends of, of, the, of the spectrum, and they're not. They are saying the same things. It's just Jesus somehow gets um, portrayed as this very loving and caring person, and, and John the Baptist seems like the guy that lives in the woods. Okay? Uh, which he was a very wild kind of guy. Uh, but, but they both have the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, turn from your ways, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is their, both of their message. They were calling people to turn from their sinful ways, turn towards God, who was making possible this way for them to have a restored relationship with God through Jesus. This is what they're doing. And John will simply tell us in, in, uh, to, to do this, that we would produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, produce fruit, keep you with repentance. So that when, when people look at your life, and we talked about fruit last week, then when they look at the fruit of your life, that it would be in step with that I've repented from my old ways. And so what Jesus is pointing out here in verse 31 and 32 is, is that this warning and this message was... 
it wasn't lost to those that the church believed were unsavable. He says, he says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they get this, and you don't. They understand this, and you don't. And they're like, well, those people, we protect God from them because of their evil, sinful ways. And Jesus would look at them and say, you're, you're missing it. Guys, you are missing it. That tax collectors and prostitutes, they saw the greater way of repentance and it changed their lives for the glory of God. And now granted, it might not have happened immediately. Uh, some were told what God wanted from their lives and they said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving that to Him. I'm doing my own thing. Uh, but eventually, like, like the son, the wayward son in Luke 15, they come to the end of themselves and they recognize that life with the Father is so much better. So much more rewarding. So much more purposeful. And, and I believe, and this is going to sound strange, but, but I believe very firmly that eventual repentance is better than no repentance at all. No repentance at all. And, so, and, and I think this is the tragedy of any person that, that finds themselves unrepentant. Uh, that, that typically the reason why they're unrepentant is because they're hindered by their guilt. They look at their lives and they think that they have gone too far, that they've done too much to receive forgiveness. And so, so, so they ask themselves, what's the point in turning it from this activity that is giving me some sort of satisfaction, though that satisfaction may be momentary and it may be fleeting, but at least it's something. And their guilt weighs them out of their repentance. And it's a tragedy. And I'll tell you why. Because it's so unnecessary. That, that, that the gospel proclaims there is nothing, there's nothing you can do that would withdraw you from the love of the Father through Jesus. There is nothing. That, 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 that any belief that your guilt keeps you from God is a lie straight from the pits of hell because your guilt declares your condemnation right up to the point where Jesus wears your sins on the cross. You with me on that? Because some of you are like, oh, I get that. And some of you are like, well, get to a better point. That your guilt declares your condemnation right up to the point where Jesus takes it on the cross. And He wears it for you. And that's great news for us. You confess, you repent, you allow Jesus to take it on, and then there is no longer any condemnation that rests over your life. None. None, because Jesus has paid it all. And, and so, so the issue with the son who very formally declares, I go, sir, is that that proclamations, that proclamations like that aren't worth their breath. That, that, that empty words lead to lame feet. Uh, you don't actually go anywhere. They, they live in the temple. And it looks very moral. It looks very upright. But they never actually do anything because their words are empty because their repentance is non-existent though they have said the right thing, right? The father says, go work in the vineyard. They say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then they just say, well, maybe he won't work my way. Maybe he won't notice that I haven't gone anywhere. And this is what's being exposed in, I'd say the religious people's lives, but this is what's being exposed in our lives. Have you ever heard God tell you 
to go do something or to go somewhere and, and you said yes eventually. Right? God, you can have it all after I'm done with some of it. So he says, go work in the vineyard. And they say, yes. And I'm convinced they were at a church service. And it felt right. It felt good. The Holy Spirit was thick. And they're making all sorts of promises. Yes, yes, yes. And then they got in the parking lot and they went to McAllister's and then they went to Walmart and then the world hit and they're like, ah, maybe I wasn't hearing them correctly. For surely God wouldn't ask me to do anything so uncomfortable. So they say yes with their mouths, but they say no with their lives. Let that rest over you just for a moment. And the truth is, God will not be fooled. So they refused John. And when they saw the transfer the transformation of the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they still refused to believe. They still refused to repent. And confession without repentance is empty because it doesn't lead to real life change. It doesn't. It doesn't. Too often in my life I've confessed things to God and I've promised things to Him that was abs- that hey God, this is ab- that was absolutely the last time. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he looks and he says, let's be honest. You have no intention of that being your last time. You have none. Some of you laugh because it's more comfortable to laugh at your own guilt than mine, right? And it's not until repentance truly makes an appearance that any real guilt is relieved and any real comfort comes. That's, been, that's the promise of the gospel. If you want comfort, if you want relief, it comes first through this repentance. It's turning away from yourself. It's turning away from the idols that are binding you. And it's turning towards God. That He is the only place. That is the only pasture you will ever walk into that will bring you any sort of satisfaction that is, that is life-sustaining and life-giving. So, so number two. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling uh, all the way through a point. Um, number two. That, that this is what I think Jesus teaches, that repentance produces a fruit for others to experience. Repentance produces a fruit for others, to others, for others to experience. And so, so we remember that this parable isn't solely about repentance that leads to salvation, but it's also about this basic Christian service. This is where we were last week, right? Uh, that, that it's about the fruit of true religion or true truly following after God, that that would have a significant change in your life. Uh, and so, so, so Jesus' question revolves around who did or did not do the will of the Father. That's the basic premise of this question. Who did what God told them to do? And they say, well, the first one, the eventual. Eventually doing it is better than not doing it at all, right? So this, this wasn't just a story about access to a vineyard. Rather, it's about the work that needs to be done in the vineyard, and Jesus has been helping them, helping us see the emptiness and the fruitlessness of a religion that takes, first of all, advantage of others for the benefit of the self. That was, that was why he cleaned out the temple. He said, you guys are profiting on one another, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. Because hum- service through humility is always the way of Jesus, and so Christianity is this offering uh, of, of pouring out the self for the benefit of others because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. 
That's what Christianity is about. If your Christianity is about the story of you and the kingdom of you being built, that's not Christianity. That's the story of you produced, directed, wrote, screenplayed by you. Christianity is always this offering. It's this pouring out of yourself. You, you experience the love of God so that it can flow right out of you into the world. That, that is what Jesus is saying. He's like, you, but you guys, to the church people, He says, you've hoarded that. You've hoarded that. You've refused to give that love away. And, and, and I think James brings this point up in, in the, the book of James. Um, well, he's talking to, to the believers uh, who were scattered across the, the, the area in the first century. And he comes out and he just says this. He says, faith without works is dead. He says, faith without works is dead. In fact, let's, let's read about, I'll read a couple verses to you from there. Uh, chapter 2 in James, uh, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. And that's, this is what, you know, the way we say it today. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Hey, I know you don't have food tonight. I'll pray for you. That God would send someone. Which, by the way, if, if you're ever in that moment, you very well are the person that God is sending to provide them food. Okay? Let's just... Let's just wear that for a moment. Okay? You come across people all the time in your life who desperately need something, who don't deserve it, but still need it. Right? And God puts a burden in your heart to love on those people. And you say, be warm. Be well fed. And this is what James says. He says, what good is that? And the answer is, it's not. It's not any good. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Right? You have faith, I have works. And he says this, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. You do well. But he also says this, even the demons believe that and they shudder. Says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that that faith apart from works is useless? Now, now we are we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We that's how we come to God. And God says the way that that truth is evident in your life is the works that you produce. And so you really you ever heard that line? You follow the money. That's what you do. What kind of fruit is being produced in my life? You follow the footsteps. You follow the money for your life. That, that we are saved for the glory of God and this profits us. It, it is an incredibly lavish inheritance that we receive when we are saved by faith through Jesus. It's, it's, it's an unmatched treasure. It makes, it makes no sense, but it is it, it's the lavish love of the Father. I, I, I can't explain it enough. Uh, but we are also saved for the benefit of those who are far from Him. Because our lives become about being ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, as Paul will say it very seminarily, right? Uh, it makes you sound like you, you know what you're talking about. That we are saved, we are ambassadors of simply 
God making his appeal to the world through us. That's what he'll tell us in 1 Corinthians. And what Jesus denounces here is, is a very insincere profession. In fact, James Boyce puts it this way. He says, are you in this category of a sincere believer? He says, you cannot answer by saying that you have joined a church, that you affirmed the creeds, that you have a reputation as a good Christian, or, or even that you are a Christian worker or minister. You can do all of those things. You can do all those things and still be disobedient to God, just as the religious leaders were. They were active in all sorts of religious matters, but they did not believe on Jesus And they were not working in God's vineyard. They were working in a little vineyard of their own. They were building their own reputations and erecting their own little kingdom. You can only answer that question properly. Are you a sincere believer? You can only answer that question properly if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and you are now engaged in the specific work to which He has called you. To which He has called you. You And you say, well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What's my specific work? And if you'll get out of the way of that, that becomes very much known through the Bible. They'll say things like you would love mercy. You would act justly. You would walk humbly with your God. He'll come in and he'll say things like that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that you would love your neighbor as yourself. He would say that you wouldn't look at a person who needs clothes and food uh, and say, be warm and well fed. That you would actually take that step. He would say that, that there are sojourners, there are widows, there are the homeless, there are, there are people who don't look like they belong in the church who desperately need to be in the church. That, that's exactly what he would say. And if you're expecting God to give you your life plan and it have all these milestones and goals, you you, you don't understand what the adventures of God look like. Because they look like, hey, we're going there. And I know that I'm there because my Father is there. And I'm in the wake of His footsteps. And I go where He tells me to go. And I do what He tells me to do. And I hold very loosely to all of these treasures that I have in this world because ultimately they're all His and He's just letting me play with them for the time being. So let's, let's start wrapping this up. So, 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 so let's stay with this question as, as we wrap things up because the parable exposes the religious and the irreligious And it helps us walk in the light of God's Word, revealing the best path to be on. In fact, so today, you might be exposed in in both of these. Uh, You might be exposed in one or the other of these. I I find myself being exposed in both. Um, Just to let you know, if you want to join that team, you're welcome to do so. Uh, We we won't have a banner or badges or anything. Um, But but maybe you are a tax collector or or the prostitute, uh, and you hear God's calling and Him wooing you into a relationship, but you're hesitant because there's security that you've been building for yourself, or perhaps there's guilt in you carrying where you believe you are unworthy of of such a gift. And here's the truth. You, You very much are unworthy. You are, and that's fine, because we all are. Very much unworthy, but we... 
but this is what makes the gospel so incredibly beautiful, that we are sinners, that God's demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet stuck in our trespasses, Christ died for us. So that's, that's incredible news to know that God has paid a great price to rescue us. We get to celebrate that. That's, that's not just for that day of your salvation, and that's not just for that day when you eventually get to heaven. That's each and every moment in between that God loves you in Christ. We celebrate that. Or at least we should. That should stir us. That should move us. Or maybe you're like the chief priest and the elder and you hear God calling, you hear Him wooing you into relationship, but you, but you think all is good because you do these religious steps. And perhaps you've been doing it for a while now. Perhaps you think you got access to the club because your grandma had access to the club. And so you show up to the temple and you pay your tax and you live relatively good or relatively moral. And you think all is fine, but you've never truly confessed and repented of your sins. And you do so mainly because you're like, oh, my sins, they're they're there. They're, They're little sins. They're not that big of a deal. I mean, if I murdered someone, then maybe I should repent. Okay, I get that. And God says, no, no, all of that separates you. Even the ones you think are little. Or maybe you feel like you're somewhere in between. Like I said, this is kind of my story. I'm somewhere in between. I, I do the church stuff, you know. And I'm like, God, that's what I do. I'm, I'm good with that, right? We're, we're good. I went to church today. And so let me just give you five questions that and, and I would like for you to chew on them today and this week because I think that it, it helps clarify where you fall and I'll tell you where I fall because I've got the head start been working on this all week right but, but as you examine your faith because again, this this is what I know about being in the in the buckle of the Bible belt, right? That well, I'm saved. Have you asked Jesus in your heart? Well, no, but I've gone to church. I'm a good person. I do good things. I volunteer. I open doors for people. Isn't that enough? Wouldn't God look at me and say, "Oh, that's good." Yeah, come on in. No, that's not the way it works. So as I examine my faith, here's five questions. Was there a time when I honestly realized I was a sinner and admitted this to God? Number two, do I truly understand that Christ died for my sins? Do I really believe that I cannot save myself by trying to be good enough? Number three, am I doing my best to flee from a life of sin or do I secretly allow sin to rule in my life? Number four, can others see the change that Jesus is making in my heart? And then number five, do I have a desire to share Christ through my words and my actions or 
am I ashamed of him? Those are tough questions, right? I think I should get a brownie for coming up with tough questions this week. And as I've examined these questions this week, and as as I've asked God those questions, sometimes I I would be very quickly to answer them, and, and He's like, shh, how about you invite me into this conversation? But I've come to this point of looking at the, the answers to these questions and nothing but gratitude grows in my heart. That God would rescue this guy. That God would redeem this guy. That God, uh, although I fall many, many times, He would continually help me get back on that He would come and He would tell me very honestly where my sins are idols and those idols must fall. That He gives me His Word and it reveals things in my life that, that I'm just, I'm like, why would somebody care about me that much? And yet He does. As a perfect Heavenly Father, He cares for me. And so the question you need to answer is, is where do you fall in those and if those first two or three questions, you come up with the answer, I don't know, I can't remember, I've never done that, then it doesn't matter the last two. Because you will never produce a fruit of God without knowing God. You will never do it. It might look like a fruit. It might be in bloom. There might be leaves, but no fig. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make prayer available to you guys. Troy and Jessica and uh, Michelle and Heather, they'll be up here. They want to pray with you. We believe there is power in prayer. And maybe you come and you say, well, I've never... I, I know the answer to the first three questions. I've never given my heart to God through Jesus. There's no better time than today. Maybe you said, I've done a lot of religious stuff, but I've never really... I've never really made it all about God. Repent. Turn. I know we don't like those words. I know we don't like giving up control, but you've never had a good handle in your control anyways. That's my Father. We thank You that You love us, that Your mercy endures, that You've given us Your Word And I pray that our hearts would just be Yours. That we would know more and more just where we rest and where we fall and how much You love us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.